Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. There's a stereotype among churches, and I think with any stereotype, sometimes, you know, there's some real truth to it. The stereotype is that churches at Mother's Day, they, they say to moms, you're awesome, we love you, you're great, thanks, mom. And then on Father's Day, we go, you guys get better and suck it up and be better men and, you know, quit being so crappy and stuff like that. And so um, I'd like to avoid both of those things and, and not, not be so weird about it. And I just want to say everybody's awesome. And on Mother's Day, I just want to say thank you, moms, for the work that you do, which is often a thankless job. Uh, I do think moms are awesome. I also came into the world because of a mom. Uh, and I think, and I appreciate her, and a, a, as did we all. So uh, can we do a little thank you for moms? Like, appreciate We do. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, and, and Father's Day comes around. Guys, remind me of this. I will do one for you, too. I'm not going to be like, you guys need to get it together, you know, like, whatever. It's fine. Uh, but great, great seeing you. Thanks for joining us here for, for Mother's Day. We started this series five weeks ago, a series called Cages, and I talked to you that Sunday about a concept called zoicosis, which is a real thing where animals that are in cages in the zoo for long periods of time kind of go nuts. They kind of develop this zoicosis, this psychosis thing, and they start wandering the same pass over and over, and they actually get uh, like depressed where they need to be chemically medicated so that they can feel better about living in those cages. And I told you on that Sunday a few weeks ago that I don't feel sad for the animals. Some of you are maybe big animal people and you do feel sad for the animals. I feel more sad for us because we also live in cages. We just don't recognize it. And we're going nuts and we're getting anxious and depressed and we don't realize the cages that we have been put in and what effect they have on our lives. We are uh, as embodied creatures, as human beings with emotions and mental capacity and a soul and all of these things, we are meant to flourish and grow. We are not meant to sit at a laptop all day long doing this. We have bodies that can accomplish great things, that have strength and that have incredible, uh, as we celebrate a Mother's Day, life-giving capacity within our bodies. It's an unbelievable thing. We have souls that are deep and, and can connect with our Creator God and can deeply connect with each other. It is powerful. We are not mere animals. I, I think of the, the line from Hamlet, and I'm not going to give you my best Shakespeare impression, but he says this, what a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in form and moving, how express and admirable, in action, how like an angel, in apprehension, how like a God, the beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. If you can imagine me saying that in my Kenneth Bronner sort of voice, and you get a sense of, man, uh, humans are incredible, what we how we have been made and what we are capable of. And, and we shouldn't just put people in cages. So the temptation for us is to rip all the cages down, to go, oh, there's a cage of shame that we talked about a few weeks ago, a cage of purpose last week, a cage of identity. These are cages the culture has put on us. It's telling us we have to be this, not this. Uh, the cage of all of these things. We should rip all of those cages down so that we can truly be free. But even if you think about it with animals, tearing down the cages does not make the animals truly free. Like, 
especially if the zoo's in the suburbs, okay? If you ripped down the cages and set the animals free, where do you think they're going to go, right? Somebody's front lawn, a cul-de-sac. You're going to see lions roaming the cul-de-sacs, giraffes walking in between the houses and the telephone wires and all this. That's freedom, right? It's going to look like Jumanji out there if you set the animals free and that's where they went. They, are, they may be free of the cages, but that's not how they were designed to live. They need to roam the Serengeti, not, you know, roam Powhatan out by the zoo or something. Um, there's, there's, there's freedom there. And so when we tear down the cages, um, it doesn't mean we're necessarily free. Let me show you what tearing down the cages looks like statistically in our culture. I want to put up this graph. I saw it. came out about a month or two ago. Uh, I found this to be interesting slash shocking. Uh, there are three dates, three data points for all these. Um, the year 1998, which for me is fun because it's when I kind of started, started my adult working career. 1998, 2019, uh, before the pandemic, and then 2023 this came from March. These are statistics about the percentage of people who would say these things are very important to them. Uh, I'll start on the left, patriotism down from 70% in 98 to 38% in 2023. Y'all want to get, you know, sentimental about how much God bless America and all that? Ain't nobody want to do that anymore. People are not sentimental about their country or, or patriotic or anything. That is not as much of a thing. Uh, religion, organized religion, right? 62% in 1998. That's the adult working world in ministry I thought I was getting into. And as I've been in ministry 20 plus years since then, I've helped make things better. And we're now at 39% of people that think religion is important to them, uh, and a drop-off of 9% just during the pandemic, okay? Uh, it's so discouraging out there. Um, community involvement, all right? It went from 47% up to 62% in the first couple decades. We were like, get out there, serve your community, do things. And then from the pandemic, from 2019, 2023, it drops from 62% to 27%. Ain't nobody want, we say, oh, it takes a village. Nope, I've seen the village. They're a bunch of idiots. They were all idiots during, during COVID. I don't want to talk to any of them. And I don't think this is just because people wearing masks or things like that. Uh, we're like, I don't want to get involved in the village anymore and serve anybody. Um, I, 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 you know, I, it takes a village to raise my child. I'm not interested in that. And speaking of children, um, 59% say they want to, very important to have children in, in 1998, down to uh, 30% in 2023. That's not good news. That, that is not good news. We won't be celebrating Mother's Day if, if, that, if that doesn't change. And you can talk to a lot of young people entering sort of the adult world. There's much less interest in things like having children because children can really cramp your style. Amen, moms? Right? Children can cramp your style. And so we're seeing a massive drop-off where people are so like, oh, man, I don't even want to have kids. This is significant for the future of humanity. There is one thing people are a little more excited about than they used to be in 1998, which is making money has gone from 31 to 41 to 43%. I don't know how much of that is driven by inflation. As inflation goes up, I think about making more money also. <laughs> like, yeah, I better get more of that because it's worth less or whatever. Um, but this is, this is what it looks like when you tear down cages as a society. You go, patriotism, who needs that? Don't be so, don't be so provincial. Don't be so America first. Or, or uh, you know, having kids, man, that's a cage. They're going to cramp your style and ruin your sleep, and they're going to do all this. They don't need that. You know, religion, us, oh, just a bunch of rules, restrictions around your life. You don't need that stuff. Tear down all those cages, and this is where we're at as a society. 
Um, and it, 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 we've ter- we're tearing these things down, and, and I'm not sure we know where we should go from here. Scripture warns against this. The King Solomon, 3,000 years ago, wrote these words, Proverbs 29, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, so they get rid of their cages. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. What is that saying? When we have no revelation, when there's no higher than us telling us how to be or what life is or what matters, here's what we do. We cast off restraint. We're like, I can do whatever I want. I can be whatever, whomever I want to be because there's no restraints. There are no cages anymore. And even in that, it says, no, actually, you're blessed if you will heed wisdom's instruction. There's still blessing to be had. Even when people are, are getting rid of and tearing down all the cages, there's still blessing to be had if you will listen to wisdom's instruction. It says heed. It doesn't say hear. You can hear wisdom's instruction and ignore it. And that's the case for a lot of us. We've heard, we know what's right. We've heard it. We're just not heeding it. We're not actually obeying. We're not actually applying what we have heard. And so Solomon reminds us, no, heed this stuff. Listen and obey and it will uh, change, change you. And I think um, there is revelation. I think there, there are some constraints put on our lives. And if we will pay attention to them and listen to them and, 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 and live under those constraints, it's actually going to uh, help us. We are made to be under some kind of restraints. We are not supposed to be free of all cages at all times. There are some things that have been put around us that actually help us because they fit who we are, they fit how we were made, they fit how our bodies and souls were designed to flourish. Perhaps the thought for you of living in a cage, I'm just like, oh, let's tear down the cages of shame and identity and purpose and add these, you know, these new things. Perhaps the idea of living in a cage of any kind or living under constraints of any kind, perhaps that's offensive to you. Certainly coming from a guy like me, because you're like, well, you're a religious guy. I can tell you what, that ha- what happens there. Religious people put their cages around the masses, and they, it's the opiate of the masses, and they try to you know, oppress people and rule over people. I, I don't know if you think that about me or if you think that about church. Uh, I'm just trying to tell you from, from one guy trying to figure it out to another group of people trying to figure it out, um, it, submit to the Lord. Submit, follow him. Put yourself voluntarily, not coercively, but voluntarily under his constraints for your life because that is the greatest way to flourishing. This is really what Christian discipleship is. You follow Christ, you get to know him. Christian discipleship goes through a cross where he di- Jesus dies on the cross. We are to die to ourselves, die to our sins, to lay things down. This is, uh, this is not easy. And when you choose to follow Jesus and you walk that road with him, it's not easy. You, you take on the constraints, his yoke. We've talked about that before, the constraints, the, the cage that, in, in a sense, Jesus puts around us. When we take that on, it is not easy. You're going to mess up. You're going to fall. You're going to stumble. You're going to blow it. We all do this. I do this. You do this. We all blow it. But there is grace for you. And you can pick back up and, and start again. So how do we do this? How do we live under the right kind of constraints, because getting rid of all constraints doesn't work. But how could we live under the right kind? Uh, I think Jesus gives us some clue to this in John chapter 15. Jesus gave a speech 
to his closest disciples the night before he gets, the night that he's going to get arrested, and then the next day he'll be, you know, betrayed and murdered on the cross. And that last speech he gives, he has dinner with his disciples, and it's recorded in John from about John 13 through 17. You, have the, you see this conversation that he has with his disciples. And in John 15, he gives them, you know, this is kind of like parting words kind of speech. And listen to what he tells his closest disciples. He says this, John 15, we'll start with verse 1. I'll put it on the screen. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. All right, so agrarian society, right? They're used to things like vine dressers and that kind of pruning and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that makes less sense to those of us who work on laptops all day, right? Or those who teach in school or whatever. Like, it, it, we don't vine dress anything. Um, I'm sure this illustration would still kill in Tuscany right now. But here... We're like, what? So, so a vine, right? Grapes, vineyards, wine, that kind of thing. You're growing these, and he said, and, and Jesus says, I am the vine. He's referring to himself, and he refers to his father as the vine dresser. The vine dresser is the one who's going to come by and tend the grapes and make sure the vine is growing the way it should so that it can be, that it can be, uh, that it can be very healthy. Um, and then he will prune things. Pruning is not cutting off the dead things. There may be some of that, but it's also cutting off some things that are alive and maybe even somewhat healthy so that even more healthy things can grow in its place. So I wish when God prunes me, I wish God would just cut out all the unhealthy things in me because there are things. And I wish he would just go in and, and with the knife and just cut them all out. But sometimes God also cuts out good things and, and some healthy things so that even more healthy things can grow in, in their place. So think about how vines grow. If you've been to, I don't know, Nelson County or something, you've seen like how, how grapes grow. They grow on some sort of structure like a trellis. And there's a, a very good reason for that. I, I kind of looked into this. I'm like, okay, why do they grow vines the way they do? Why do they grow grapes the way they do? The reason you would use some sort of structure like a trellis is so obviously a, a vining plant will grow up that, but the reason you want that to happen is um, if the vines were just to grow, they, they don't have enough of a, a, a backbone, a, a branch, or a, a, a trunk that they can grow up. So they so they would grow on the ground, and then they're going to get eaten by animals and in, infected with diseases and stuff like that. So by putting them on a trellis, you're minimizing the attacks of animals and, and diseases. Um, also. As they grow up in the trellis, uh, you're able to have better access to them, and the grapes clusters are able to, you're sort of maximizing their exposure to sunlight when you do it that way. They're not shading over the other ones or whatever. You can get more sun for more grapes more often when, when they grow um, up a trellis. So in a sense, um, a trellis is like a cage. Not exactly, but it is, um, it is a constraint for the vine. The vine has to grow along it. And growing in that way leads to the greatest fruit bearing. It leads to the greatest amount of flourishing uh, for the vine when it grows on that structure. And I think believing and following Jesus, and, and he says he's the vine, so you being sort of grafted into his vine or growing with him is going to give you the greatest opportunity for flourishing 
in your life. Um, I, 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 think it's, I think it's that, that clear. Um, there are lots of ways people try to live. There's lots of things we try to do to our bodies and with our bodies and, and things we believe and follow and chase after. Um, but I think God made us, and when he gives us uh, this is the way to be, our best shot at flourishing and health and happiness and all of that, our best shot at all that is to grow on his trellis, to grow the way he is calling us to grow, to do the things he calls us to do. Um, being a disciple of Jesus, entering those constraints is the best shot at flourishing that we have in life. And you see the idea of constraint and how it leads to flourishing. You see that show up all over life. If you eat whatever you want, whenever you want, eventually that goes badly for you, right? A lifetime of that, you get sick. You can't just eat whatever you want, whenever you want, unless you're in college. And we all hate you for it. And we can't wait for you to figure it out one day, <laughs> like, right? No, like you, you, you can't because you eventually, that, that, hey, I'm liberated, I can eat whatever I want, that leads to sickness, right? We, we understand there has to be some sort of constraints there. You, ha- you have to go for a walk. You can't sit inside all the time. You have to go for a walk. You have to move the body and let the blood flow. You have to get the vitamin D, God gave us something that literally comes from the sun. He's like, people are going to need this. I'm going to hang a sun in the sky, and it's going to give it to people. They just need to get out there and and have it, right? So if we live in our basement, that's not going to work. We got to get out there. These are, these are constraints on our lives. We have to, if we read, we will gain knowledge, and if we apply that knowledge, we will gain wisdom, and if we get that wisdom, um, we will live well. If we work very hard, and give up free time in order to work, we will earn money. If we pour a lot of time in building a relationship with our kids, it will, it will grow. We will, we will be closer to them. All of those things are a little bit like a cage or a trellis. All of those things are, you're going to have to give up some freedom in order to have something. You're going to have to give up something you love, your free time, in order to have something else that you love, wisdom or, or health or whatever. Um, there are limits on our freedom but these things lead to maximum growth. And there's just no shortcuts. Have you heard about this uh, drug called o- Ozempic? I listened to, so it's a weight loss drug. I listened to a whole podcast about Ozempic. It's pretty interesting. There's um, celebrities that are taking it, and apparently it works. So people are losing weight taking this drug. Um, and, and now, you know, like with any medication, there's some side effects. Some I don't want to talk about on stage right now. You can look it up. It's pretty gross. Um, but we think, oh, that's a, that's a shortcut. Um, this will be fine. And apparently it really does work, but you have to take the drug forever for it to continue to work, which is, I mean, if you're a pharmaceutical company, that's a pretty good setup. <laughs> like, keep coming back to us. We will keep giving you more, and we'll charge you for it, right? That's a good deal. And what are the long-term effects of taking something like that over decades? Don't worry about that. We haven't figured that out yet. You'll know in a couple decades what the long-term effects are. Oops, sorry. Like, we've seen this before, right? This is the way it, way it goes, because we go, I want the shortcut to flourishing, and I'm going to do these things to try to take the shortcut. And there's always side effects. We try to trick nature and we end up tricking ourselves. It always ends poorly. Um, when we go outside of 
the, the trellis outside of the cage that God has, God has put on our bodies, on humanity. There's a lot of things that are like that that we could talk about. Let me just give you, you know, at least one of the controversial ones. Let's talk about the way we view sex in modern America. Now, what I'm going to say uh, here is not going to be popular. I've been preaching here for almost 15 years. Anytime I've said this, it's not popular. It's, at no point in the last 15 years has anybody been like, I love that. Talk about that again. Or, uh, and probably throughout human history, certainly when the Bible was written, this also was controversial and not popular. Um, but we have said for millennia, Christians have said, Sex is a gift of God, it is a good thing, and it is designed to be experienced between a man and a woman within the context of marriage. This is the safe context for that kind of thing. This is how God designed it. It is to have children. It is to build a bond within marriage. Um, Now, we've said that forever. You've probably heard that forever. Um, But a, a modern sort of American attitude, maybe from the 60s and beyond, maybe some from before, is that we are free from that cage. We don't need that kind of constraint on sexual behavior. We are liberated. We can do what we want because consenting adults, grown ups, we can handle this however we want to handle this. I really hope. I'm gonna. I want to get really specific here, especially if you brought mom today. This will be so fun. Um, now, I'll, I'll back off. Uh, we, we have said we are liberated and we are free of the cage of sexual constraint that the church and other religion and, and, and family and all these people have put on. So we are going to be free. And so we go, oh, we can be polyamorous. We can, we can brag about our body count. We can have all the porn. We can have all the sexual options out there. And these things are not making us more liberated. They are, they are bringing a d- disaster on people. They are bringing addiction and pain and abuse, and it, it, is, it is not going well. Are, are we actually better off liberating ourselves from the cage of sex that the church has tried to put on humanity? Well, let's check the data on that. There's an article, the Gospel Coalition published an article. The article was called, Christianity is not as bad as you think which I thought was kind of funny. I was like, well, we're really on the defensive here, aren't we? And it's like, like, how is that as a marketing slogan, you know? Like, oh, you're a Christian. Yeah, it's not as bad as you think. <laughs> like, it's okay, right? But that's, that's, what they, well, that's what they went with. Christianity is not as bad as you think. Um, and they go through a lot of data points about when you live the way God calls you to versus if you go some other route. And on sex, this is... This is what they said, and this will be a little hard to probably read, but let me put this graph up here. Basically, uh, red is women, blue is men. Um, On the left, uh, for couples that are highly secular, no religious belief, this is their sexual satisfaction number. Um, It's the probability of people saying, I'm satisfied with my sexual relationship with my partner. Uh, Mixed religious couples in the middle, and then highly religious couples. Um, We don't have to do a deep dive into the, the data on this. It, there's a source for it and all that. I could send you the source of this whole thing if you want to see it later. Um, but just merely to note that the more religious you are, the more likely you are to say that you are sexually satisfied with your partner. I think that's interesting. I'm not saying be religious and it's the greatest sex thing ever. There are challenges in the sexual relationship always, and there are times this is good and the times it's not, and there's all, all of those things. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying this is just like some guarantee and we're not supposed to ever have problems. I'm just saying I find it highly interesting that the people who live under the, allegedly the greatest cage of their, around their sexual behavior, the religious people, report the highest level of satisfaction 
with their sexual life. Wait, isn't it supposed to be if we're free of everything, we're free of all the constraints, and you can do whatever you want between consenting adults, it's going to go better for you? Apparently not. Apparently that isn't how it goes. You do things God's way, and I think there actually is fulfillment among all sorts of things, not just sex. Here's another idea in our culture. Um, the idea that Christianity is a cage, that religion is a cage. This is why this, this statistic, this percentage drop-off of religion, oh, I don't need religion, that Christianity and religion is oppressive. There's a really interesting survey they did of 70,000 healthcare workers, so doctors, nurses, all these people, EMTs, the whole bit. They do a, a survey of 70,000 healthcare workers over a period of 15 years to find out, like, quality of life things. And here's what they found. Of those healthcare workers who attend religious services weekly, they, are, they have 29% less depression, 50% less likely to get a divorce, five times less likely to commit suicide. Mere church attendance actually also correlated with that those folks were 33% less likely just to even die over the 15 years after the study. There's something healthy about our, uh, going on in our bodies just from what you're doing right now, just from being a part of a, of a worshiping community. Another study points to, listen to all these data points, church attendance and connection with a Christian, fe- with, with a religious fellowship uh, leads to greater longevity, less depression, less suicide, less smoking, less substance abuse, better cancer and cardiovascular disease survival, less divorce, greater social support, greater meaning in life, greater life satisfaction, more volunteering, and greater civic engagement. I mean, if I could sell you a pill that would give you all those things, you'd probably sign up for it, right? You'd be like, "Ah, how many of those do I need to take? (laughs) What are the long-term side effects, right? There's something going on here. There's a value when you live under some constraints, but they have to be the right kind of constraints. It's just not, um, it's not just any constraints. Um, There is true flourishing when we, when we are, when we are in the right constraint. You know, I, I always say, like, um, you don't make a goldfish more free by taking them out of the bowl and throwing them on the floor. It's like, oh, that cage that you're in, fish. You have to swim in just that, you know, just that few, few inches of water. Let me make you free. Be free. That's not free. Because that's now not the right constraints for flourishing for that animal. And in the same way for us, We have to be under the right kind of constraints. Is Christianity a cage? Maybe. But I think it's the right kind of constraints around our lives that fits our nature, fits the way we were made, and actually leads to human flourishing. So how do we access that? How do we truly flourish? Jesus continues on, and he tells us, John 15, after he he refers to himself as the vine, uh, he, he then tells his followers this, verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown to the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done 
for you. He says, already you've been made clean by the words I've spoken to you. Now, that, now he's talking to his disciples who have spent three years hanging out with him. And he's saying, man, your life has been changed just from the teaching that I've given you. For us, that is also the case. Although for us, the initial sort of cleansing of, of being clean from sin comes when we are baptized. We are baptized into Christ. We give our lives to him. He washes us clean. And then we start to grow on that vine and grow up that trellis and, and follow after him. And, and, and what he tells us to do, you can't miss this word. It shows up all over this. He says, abide. Well, that's not a word we use a lot. Abide. The, the word is a Greek word, meno, and it means uh, to, to hold fast or hold tightly to or to remain. So he says, abide in me. Jesus is saying, stick with me. Remain in me. Hold tight to this thing. This is the source of life for you. This is how you will grow. Follow me on this trellis and I will lead you to the sunlight. And you will grow healthy. Um, follow me with these constraints, and this will go well for you. And if you hold on to him, it says he will hold on to you, and he will be with you, and you will flourish. Now, I'm not a prosperity preacher. I'm not the kind that's going to get up here and be like, if you just follow Jesus, he's going to make you rich. He's not. I don't think that's how that works. Um, discipleship following Jesus involves denial, and it'll involve pain, and it'll involve suffering. And honestly, and I've said this to you before, no one here gets out alive. We will, we will all go through the hard stuff, we will all, and it all ends in death. But what the promise of Christ is, is that there is birth, and there is life after death. And there is real hope that we can hold on to. So, yes, discipleship is hard, but hold on to him, remain in him, abide in him, and let him change you. Um, and, and I wanted to tell you all this because I, I'm just so concerned as someone who observes the culture and sees what's happening in the world. Um, I'm just concerned about what's going on. And I'm not, um, I don't like to be what is called political. Uh, a lot of things that are political are moral and ethical. And that those things come from somewhere and you have to talk about those things. Um, but I'm concerned with what we're telling people today. I'm concerned with the, the, the mainstream American cultural message that we give, particularly to young people, to people coming out of high school, into college, uh, into young adulthood. Um, it's not good. In fact, I wrote this about it, and I just want to read this to you because I, I want to get it right. Um, I am disgusted to the degree, and let, let me just say this to young people in the room, I am disgusted to the degree that the world is lying to you. You're being lied to, and it's absolutely trying to sell you a whole bunch of nonsense. It's telling young men that masculinity is toxic, so you should learn to be more like women. It's telling young women that the best way forward is to lean in and be more like men and pursue sex without any emotions attached to it, as if that's possible. It's telling you that money is all you need, that love can be bought, that political identity is the most important thing about you, that religion is oppressive, that friends are only good if they bring positivity, that digital connection is as good as real connection, that unhealthy is healthy, that indulgence leads to the good life, and it's all lies, and I'm not sure there are enough SSRIs in the world to take that, that can help you live under that completely onslaught of satanic lies. The zoicosis out there is real, and it's relentless, and there must be another way. And along comes Jesus, and you're sitting there going, really, Jesus, is that the answer? 
yeah, okay, it may be not great out there, and it's anxiety producing, there's a lot of depression, there's a lot of frustration, and things are hard, and there's a lot of conflicting messages, and no one trusts the institutions anymore, and I don't know what's real and what's fake, and wait till AI comes more popular, then we won't know anything about anything anymore, and you're going to come along and go, hey, this Jewish guy who lived a couple thousand years ago is the answer? Yes. Still the answer. Still the same problems with new faces, with, with new, dressed up in new ways, but still the answer, knowing him, following him. And you may not want to hear that because you had a bad experience with church because the Jesus talk makes you uncomfortable because when someone like me says something like about Jesus, it sounds like your dad or your grandpa or something like that, or you just go, oh, this again, religion again, we're done with that. I understand that. I understand how you can be. And maybe you've heard the Jesus talk so much you can't even hear it anymore. It just goes in one ear and, and out the other. But I'm, I'm asking you to hear him fresh today, not me. Hear him. Because he says, abide in me. Stick with me and I will stick with you. And this is how you're going to grow. This is where the life is to be found. Now, there's a cooperation that goes here. You hold fast to him, and then he does his work in you, and he will give you joy. So the next step, if you've given your life to Christ, some of you may need to do that, get baptized. We'll talk about that more in weeks to come. But maybe the next step for you is you need to read his words and know them, get them in your heart and mind. Join a, we're going to do some, some Bible studies, some different groups that are going on this summer. Join a group and get to know Jesus with other people. Um, that could be really helpful. Um, and then the other thing I think we need to do if we're holding fast to him is we need to tell other people about him. That, that's part of it too. It's not just, well, it's just my personal relationship with Jesus and that's it. There's more. Uh, Jesus says it, or Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting, listen to this, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God makes his appeal to your dad, to your friend, to your coworker, to your child. God makes his appeal to be reconciled to him, to be in a relationship with him. He makes that appeal through you. And I, I wish there could be a different way. I wish if God wants to reach my coworker, let God go do it. God could, you know, give this person a dream and they could find him. God could write something in the sky or show up as an angel at the foot of their bed. That would be easier for all of us. But instead, what God chooses to do is, again, partner with you and use you to reach them. Well, that's only going to work if you speak up. And I get that. I get that's scary. We don't want to be pushy. We don't want to feel like we're selling something. But let me ask you this. Has Jesus actually made a difference in your life? Can you say, yeah, here are things about my life that are better because I'm a part of the family of faith, because I, I know Jesus. Has he set you free from shame like Topher talked about? Has he given you a sense of hope like we talked about on Easter? Has he given you a sense of peace? 
Has he given you a, a network of relationships and friendships that you wouldn't have had had you not come to know him? If all of that is true, if you have some sense of peace, if you have some sense of hope, if you have some joy, not that you don't have bad days, but if you, if you have this underlying sense of joy and all of this, why wouldn't you share that? Don't, don't people need to hear about that and know? We talk about at this church that we exist to help people connect to God, find their people, and change the world. That's all of us. That's not just something I do in a sermon or something that happens with the music or what's happening in a kid's class. This is what we all do together. We help people connect to God, find their people, and change the world. This is all of us bringing the message of Jesus to others. So I guess in closing, what I'm asking you to do is go rattle a cage. We are in the process of being set free by Jesus and we see cages all around us. And share the hope with someone. Who do you know at work, in your family, at school? Who do you know that's still in the cage that you could rattle a little bit and say, hey, come with me to find life? We're gonna, we're gonna talk about Jonah next week uh, for the next four weeks. And it is the story of a guy running from God, which is the way a lot of us have been or currently are. So bring somebody with you next week and let's, let's start having that conversation. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, help us to have the courage to adopt the constraints, even the cages that um, are around us that actually can liberate us, the right constraints that can lead to our flourishing. Help us to have the courage to do that and not just get in this space of, I need to be free from every constraint ever. God, it takes courage to do that. It, it takes conviction that we may not feel like we have right now. But God, help us to really lean into that. God, I pray that um, as we lack courage, other people in this room will encourage us. And maybe we can borrow theirs for a little bit until we get our own. And then when we have it, we can pour it into others. Thank you, Lord. Uh, and I thank you for giving us life and hope and freedom from the cages culture tries to put on us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.